Here at Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska, it's just kids, all day, every day. Our pediatric experts are here to answer your questions and weigh in on hot topics, helping you keep your child healthy, safe, and strong. We're here for you. Listen in. In this episode, the third in our series on mental health in children and teens, our topic is anxiety. What triggers it in kids? What are the signs? And what can parents do to help a child struggling with anxiety? Children's behavioral health experts are here to offer their guidance and perspective. Jennifer McWilliams. I'm one of the child and adolescent psychiatrists here at Children's Hospital and Medical Center. Um, here with my partner in crime, Sean Akers, to talk about anxiety. Hi, and I'm Dr. Sean Akers. I'm the psychologist here at Children's Hospital and Medical Center and uh, in the Behavioral Health Department. And yeah, anxiety is our topic today, Dr. McWilliams. So, you know, the thing about anxiety is it's, a, it's such a, a vague term. So how about we first kind of define it, narrow it down a little bit uh, so we can talk in a little bit better detail. So when we, when we say anxiety, what, what does that really mean? Well, and that's a great question. And that's something that depending on who you ask, you're going to get five different answers on. Um, at the core um, root of it, it's important to remember that anxiety um, is very normal. We all have some degree of anxiety. It exists on a spectrum. And anxiety is really protective and helpful. It, what's, it's what keeps us from you know, walking down the middle of Dodge Street in the middle of the night with our eyes closed. Um, but at a certain point, that anxiety, that, that discomfort and fearful reaction um, that we all experience in certain circumstances can cross a line and become over the top, can become something that's more extreme than you would expect for the average person at that age and stage in their life. And that when that starts impairing their ability to function, whether it be, you know, talk to friends, go to school, etc., then that's where it crosses that line and becomes what we consider a problem and, and um, something that needs to be treated and addressed. Is that right. similar to how you define it? Right. You know, the, we, we use the terms excessive anxiety. Now, there's some subjectivity in there, but it really, just like some of the other things we've talked about, is it, does it affect functioning, right? Is, is, is it affecting their day-to-day life or their ability to enjoy socializing with other kids or being able to attend school or be separated from parents? And, and so everybody gets anxious. I don't know anybody who doesn't. And, and like you said, it's a good thing to have some anxiety. You know, we talk about safety. Uh, it keeps us from, you know, kind of watching out for things that are unsafe. Uh, the other thing I'll add is, is that a, a certain amount of anxiety helps us, um, helps us function. It helps us prepare for things. Uh, you know, before this talk, you and I talked a little bit and we prepared a little bit so it doesn't make us quite as anxious to, to talk about something like this. And, um, you know, whether you're in the theater or music or taking a test, uh, a little anxiety helps, helps our performance. It's when it gets excessive and becomes problematic that we want to address it. Exactly. I remember from residency, one of my, my teachers showed us a, a bell curve of anxiety. And too little and you didn't get things done and too much you didn't get things done and so the goal was to try to help people get in that sweet spot in the middle of it, the right amount of anxiety 
Um, now we know that anxiety changes as you get older, that what little kids are anxious about is different than from what grade school kids are anxious about is different from what high school kids are anxious about. Thinking about normal anxiety first, what, what would we would expect kids to have? How would you describe anxiety at those different stages? It's a good question and, and you're right. Um, again, we want a certain amount of, of anxiety because let's say kids are bonding to their parents and they're, especially little kids are, are typically in a, in a relatively sheltered uh, place, um, you know, in their home and cared for by a, a relatively few caregivers. Um, you know, so, so we wanna get a sense of what's going on, uh, what, what, what is the context of their life and are there new things, are there new people going on? You know, one thing that we, we see a little bit more in and uh, younger kids is something like separation anxiety. You know, those first days of kindergarten or, or preschool uh, when, you know, it's a very new situation and experience and, uh, and, and they don't understand what's going on. And, and obviously they're, they're not little adults. These are children with, with a, a different way of thinking about the world. And, and so that's gonna be different than um, the uh, child who's just starting puberty, you know, right around that 11, 12 year old. Uh, when their brain is is functioning a little bit differently and they're becoming much more aware of the social world uh, you know versus a high school kid right exactly I still remember you know, sending my daughter off to kindergarten and her you know clinging onto my leg crying which of course made me cry but it was reassuring because it was normal for somebody her age um, now this year when she heads off into sixth grade and doesn't look back over her shoulder I'm still gonna cry um, but I'm reassured that she's not. Um, exactly. It changes over time. So. Mm -hmm. But that also talks about that, that there's not just one anxiety that fits everybody. There's different diagnoses. There's different types of anxiety. Um, you know, maybe we ought to, to talk just a little bit about that. Like when, when people say anxiety, oftentimes we're really talking about what we call generalized anxiety. It's about anxiety about a variety of things. It's not just one specific, I'm, I'm only anxious about roller coasters. They may be anxious about performance and uh, the weather and, um, you know, teachers or being judged or, I mean, there may be a lot of things that, that go into that anxiety versus, and then there's other diagnoses. What, what other ones come to your mind? So I, I see a lot of kids who have generalized anxiety where they worry about a whole range of things. Um, I also see a lot of kids that have very specific social anxiety. So they worry about being around new people, being in crowds, being in situations where they feel like they're being observed or judged. Um, and that can be really problematic because it, it, it makes them not want to go to school um, and impairs their ability to kind of develop some of those social skills that we accept or expect kids um, to be, you know, working on. So social anxiety is one that's been, you know, one that I've seen a lot. And then you mentioned separation anxiety. That's another type of anxiety that I see fairly frequently. Um, you know, whereas it's normal for my, you know, kindergarten daughter to be nervous about leaving me, um, if she was in high school and was nervous about that and, you know, was constantly fearful about, you know, my welfare and, and her welfare and, and, you know, didn't want to leave the house then that would be problematic. That would be excessive. Um, so those are a couple of the types that I see the most. Um, there are also specific phobias. You mentioned roller coasters. Um, I personally hate snakes, um, but I don't know that I'm at the level that I'm phobic of them. But those are 
are one type. Oftentimes we um, clinically see kids that um, have very specific fears about things like needles um, or different medical procedures, which, you know, oftentimes are necessary uh, part of our life and have to be addressed. I can avoid boa constrictors. I can't avoid the flu shot. Um, so those are some of the kinds that I see the most commonly. How about you? You know, the only thing I would add, I, I totally agree, is um, that in phobias, one of the things that I'll see a little bit more since we work at Children's Hospital and Medical Center is a, a few phobias around, uh, say, blood or, you know, those types of things. So there are times when we have to work on uh, areas where um, medical procedures, needles, uh, blood that um, have to be addressed, uh, especially in, in cases where kids are getting uh, procedures or they have a new diagnosis where they're going to have to uh, face those types of things. There are a couple of diagnoses that technically, if you read the, the psychiatric you know, textbooks, have been put into their own category. So they're no longer considered anxiety, although historically we've thought of them as such. Um, and those are obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, um, and post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Um, so again, depending on you know how strict your definition of an anxiety disorder is, those two can also fit in there and oftentimes can be quite impairing and require treatment as well. Right, right. So, so let's go toward, um, we talked to, you know, about separation anxiety. What about teenagers? You know, what do we see a little bit more with the teenagers, uh, the high schoolers, you know, that, that might come out? Uh, you know, like one of the things that I see a lot of is, is maybe kids who are hard on themselves, kind of, you know, really perfectionistic. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that can, you know, really morph into, you know, a generalized anxiety or some of the social anxiety, but, um, but these kids can become very um, um, hard on themselves to the point that they have expectations that, that no mere mortal can, can live up to. Um, and so, you know, trying to um, help them recognize that, you know what, getting a B on a test is okay, um, is, is sometimes really a challenge for these kids. Um, and it can, can spiral into depression and, and a whole bunch of other things. And that's, that's one thing that I always keep a close eye on with anxiety is that um, anxiety um, can lead to other disorders and can cause more problems like depression and eating difficulties and you know sleep problems and, and stuff like that. Um, so when I'm doing my evaluation, even if someone comes in and says that they're um, having problems with anxiety, I'm going to ask a whole range of questions about a whole bunch of other stuff to make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the process for evaluation? Uh, yeah, it's very similar to the other uh, evaluations that we do. Uh, typically when people come into our office, it's us asking lots of questions. And, and really trying to narrow things down because certainly uh, uh, kids and families will come in and it's usually they're distressed and they're going to say, you know, there's an anxiety issue and we want to get a real good idea what is the context, you know, what is going on that's distressing. Um, you know, we, we're going to take developmental level into account, you know, what their age is, uh, what their uh, environment is, what their demands are, you know, on them. And, and how it's affecting their functioning. So, you know, it really starts with uh, clarifying and, and identifying what 
is distressing to them because again a lot of things can look alike we know we don't want to just automatically jump to generalized anxiety when you know maybe it's a it's a mood issue or there's other things uh, because some things can look alike and for example um, some kids who are very hard on themselves can come across very irritably you know they they're because they're they're angry that things aren't going that way because but it's really the the root is they they want to be perfect or they they got to be on a test or they didn't do as well in in a performance and and but and that's what's affecting mood so so just like you said we we want to make sure that we're we're catching everything that it's not just anxiety but there's often a lot of other things going on uh, so it's really a lot of questions and then you know toward the end uh, clarifying this is what we see going on and then coming up with a treatment plan basically saying you know if this is identifying anxiety this is what we want to do about it exactly perfect so thinking about treatment um you know when, when we talked about some of the other disorders we talked about you know medications as well as therapy um and for most of the research that I've looked at, it really pretty heavily favors focusing on therapy first, um, saving medication for only kind of more severe cases. Has um, that been your experience? And can you kind of walk us through some of the different um, types of, of psychotherapy treatment that we use for anxieties? Absolutely. For me, when uh, when we're and we're just going to say we're going to focus on anxiety, we have a say a, a generalized anxiety. Uh, it really starts with anxiety education, right? And, f and what I feel like is most helpful in, in my practice is a team effort to begin with. So when I do anxiety education, I want to talk through with the child as well as the parents. Uh, because they're in, you know, the, the child is, is in the context of their family. And we know that, uh, that with anxiety, we often, um, really need that that help in a lot of ways so my first step is always going to be anxiety education and it's gonna uh, there's a number of things that I'm going to talk about I won't go through every one of them but you know it really starts with that one of the the rules of therapy is going to be that we work on managing anxiety not necessarily eliminating it right right again that bell curve yeah, and, and because we want to normalize that some anxiety is good, and we've gone through that, that we don't want to eliminate anxiety, that would be unrealistic and unhelpful. There was actually a study done at the University of Iowa about a woman who had a very unique stroke that took out the two parts of your brain on either side that control anxiety. So she had no anxiety, and you wouldn't believe the amount of trouble that she got into um, confronting people and doing things that... that one would just not advise that someone would do right you know and, and that that is kind of scary if something like that happened and uh you know so we're going to talk about what you know if there's a body response we often have a a, a physical response to anxiety uh, everybody's a little bit different uh, when i get anxious my hands sweat that's just how i know other people get anxious uh in a nauseous uh, kind of manner. I don't, uh, but that, that's certainly true for others. And it can affect your, your pulse. It can affect your breathing. It can affect a lot of different things. So we certainly want to go through that. Are they experiencing those kinds of uh, physical symptoms? Uh, and then one of the things I think is really important for kids and families to, to both understand is the number one thing that most all of us do for things that make us anxious is avoid. 
avoidance is huge. And you mentioned the, the child who, who uh, might have that separation anxiety uh, or, or social anxiety not wanting to attend school. And, and it's avoidance behavior. And the reason that, that we have to involve parents oftentimes with this is because we want to make sure that we're, so you know, part of the treatment is working on not avoiding, but coping. We want to learn how do we cope with these things that make us really uncomfortable and anxious and not just use one coping technique of avoidance. Exactly, exactly. And that's hard. That's really hard work. If, and as a parent, if you know, my kid is afraid of something and anxious about something, to say, you know, come on, you know, buck up, little camper, you gotta go. That, that takes some, that takes some major mom strength, and it's not easy. It really does, and we, you know, because we 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 tend to want to validate our, our our children and 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 comfort them, and and how do I take your distress away? And that's our typically our immediate response is you're distressed. How can I help that distress? And so that's the one thing that for me, when I, I love working with uh, kids with anxiety for a number of reasons, but, but one of the things that I think is, is important that I do explain is that motivation is important. And part of that is that because the treatment is being willing to say we have to work on uh, going toward things that make you uncomfortable and knowing that it's gonna be uncomfortable and not just keeping in that comfort zone of avoidance and not doing those things. It's also important to recognize that we don't make people go, you know, um, cold turkey into what they're trying to avoid. I mean, we start by looking at pictures of snakes before just making you walk into the, the snake section of the zoo. I mean, right? It's kind of a graduated approach. Right, and to me, that's that's where it's very individual. We want to make sure that we treat every every children and every child and family individually and how what is going to be in their best interest and, and typically gradual a, a gradual process is much more tolerable to all of us you know we don't necessarily go full-on uh, you know from from zero to to a hundred uh, because that's just going to be too distressing and we weren't you know and that would actually be more uh, oftentimes yucky to, to people uh, and, and may create more resistance rather than being helpful exactly um, so for some kids that, that we work with, um, it's really hard for them to make even that first step. Um, and they have you know, such severe anxiety that even going in and, and working with a therapist on it can be quite difficult. Um, so those are the cases that, that I often step in at and look at, at medications. Um, and most of the medications that we use for anxiety are very similar to the ones that we use for depression. They have very similar um, neurobiological pathways so the medications can kind of overlap and so those are things in the um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor family um, that you'd see for a lot of different things like Zoloft and Prozac and, and those medicines. Um, like when we're treating depression those medicines don't work overnight um, and they they have to be taken every single day and so they take a while to be effective but but for some kids, they can can help decrease some of that baseline anxiety just enough that then they can engage in the therapy. But I always want to emphasize to families that that, that medication alone is just a band-aid. It's not gonna solve the, the root problem. There are some other medications that, that people use that are very short acting and very temporary that people use for situational anxiety, like having panic attacks and, and such. Um, 
for kids and for teenagers, we really try to avoid those as much as possible um, for a couple of reasons. Some of them can be addictive um, and, and habit forming. Um, we don't always know how they affect the growing brain. Um, and finally, and probably most importantly, if I'm giving you a medicine that immediately makes you feel calm and dulls that anxiety, then that is very counterproductive to the work and therapy of teaching you how to become comfortable with that anxious feeling and cope with it and, and move on. Um, we don't want you taking a pill when, you know, taking a deep breath would be, you know, more effective in the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are those are really good points. Uh, when we when we do uh, add in medication, and uh, you know, I, I think it's often uh, you know we've tried these techniques, and and the medication really is meant to uh, to be an an adjunct, you know, an, an an assist. And what we really do often see is that when when that tension level moderates a little bit, they can actually use some of the techniques a little bit better. And and that's what we really want to see is that. Um, that they can uh, they can use the relaxation or the, or the, the the better coping techniques, but the ideal from my end is that they feel and this is one of the reasons why I feel uh, I really like seeing these kids is that they feel more in control they feel more powerful again it 's not about eliminating the anxiety, but what we want to be able to see is kids who say uh, you know, come in your office and say, I, I gave that talk in front of the class and, and I was anxious, but I got through it and it was so much better. And I, you know, and, they, and they're often very excited about that they, they didn't panic as much as they expected or they didn't uh, sort of freak out. And, um, and when they feel like they have that ability to do that, it's, it's, uh, it, it feeds on itself. You know, then they can they can really start using these techniques, and they can see that it that with more practice, uh, the brain kind of resets a little bit. They're realizing that it's not as dangerous as we as we think. That that fears are often worse than reality, and and that you know the more you practice and face these things, it's really not that bad. And that's where I think the the longer term management really helps. Absolutely. You know, I think taking a step back then and looking at kind of long-term prognosis with anxiety, that's, that's important to, to remember. Um, that if we all consider that anxiety exists on a spectrum and, and some folks just have a little bit more anxious of a temperament, a little more anxious personality than others, um, then we're going to see some ups and downs throughout the course of people's lives. You know, stressful situations, you know, starting grad school, you know, moving to a new city could cause that anxiety to flare back up again. But the more practice you have at, you know, managing that anxiety appropriately, um, the easier it gets each time. Right. And even positive things, right, can be anxiety provoking, you know, the, uh, you know, getting married or, or, you know, having a, having a child as we get older, those are wonderful things, but they can also be stressful. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and like I said, you know, I think, you know, just as a personal story, you know, I was very introverted and shy as a little kid and really probably could have been diagnosed with, with social anxiety when I was little. Um, but my parents were fantastic and helped me kind of get over that and, and um, practice talking to people. Um, and so now I bet you it would you know, surprise you to know that it still sometimes makes me a little bit anxious to, to talk to people I don't know. Um, but I'm getting better at it every year, I get a little bit better each time. Wow, you're really not shy anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they did a really 
good job. Because <laughs> so. I was going to say the same thing. I was much more quiet and shy, and I'm, I'm by nature soft-spoken. And, and giving presentations like this 30 years ago would have been very anxiety-provoking for me. And the, the way I was getting through it was, was using actually some of the techniques and, and practicing, and, and, uh, and it, it really doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Well, Sean, any last thoughts that you can think of about anxiety or um, any unique peculiarities that you run into in the hospital or with, with sick kids um, that has to relate to anxiety? My only last thought, my last takeaway is, you know, as a parent, you know, sometimes, uh, and, and I've, I've raised three kids, uh, you know, so it, it, we, we don't always have that objective view of where, where things are. And, and just, you know, talk to your, to your child. And, and, and then I think it's always going to be good to talk to your pediatrician and your team. Again, with, you know, that's the person who's going to know you guys over time and, and ask those questions and say, this is what we're seeing. And, uh, you know, we have wonderful pediatricians here at, at Children's Hospital and Medical Center. And, and our pediatrician uh, was wonderful, you know, with my kids growing up and, and, you know, whether regardless of the issue, anxiety is there and, and, you know, they have a good sense of helping screen a little bit to say, uh, no, this is within normal limits. We do see separation issues, you know, in a, in a toddler and, and, or no, this is excessive and let's get you to the, to the appropriate folks and, and, you know, ask questions and, and, uh, you know, there's help out there. No matter what, at the end of the day, snakes are always gross. So there you go. So cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, A lot of times I know that our talks generate more questions um, than they even have answered. So if you have any concerns or questions, feel free to reach out um, to our team and we'd be happy to help you. Yeah, I sure do appreciate everything. And thanks a lot for listening. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to Just Kids Health. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Visit childrensomaha.org for more information on how we can help your child.